0: The other side podcast mission is to discuss important cultural and social issues relating to race, culture, gender and equality. Welcome. Thanks for joining us again for another episode of the other side podcast. I'm Scott Kirk. And today in studio, I have with me Don Dixon, who's the founder and CEO of Flat Out Hills and uh, Popcom.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So just a little backstory for our listeners. I actually heard you on another platform. Shout out to Angela Yee and the Breakfast Club. And you had such an amazing story that I could not believe that you were right here in Columbus. (laughs) And I'd never heard this story before. So just to kind of let everybody know who you are and what you do, just tell us about your company. And well, actually, how did you get started? Let's start there.
1: Yeah, well, born and raised. Here in Columbus, Columbus Public Schools, the Ohio State University. So I'm, I'm a true, you know, city of Columbus person. I started my very first company after going to DeVry in 2001. Okay. So I've been a tech entrepreneur since 2001. So this is my 18th year now. Okay. And, you know, my background in college at Ohio State was journalism and media. OK. And I worked at Channel 4, you know, and working in uh, the online news in the very early, early days of online news when we were doing FTP to put the, the news up after it was broadcast. That was my job. OK. And that's when I realized that tech was taking over every industry and very specifically was approaching to take over the media mm-hmm. so that's why I went to DeVry to learn more about technical skills and then fell in love with the possibilities of, of what technology can do and how technology can innovate so I got my start just you know in the media industry wanting to learn more how I can strengthen myself uh, to get a job but mm-hmm. then it turned out that I had started my own media company called the Urban Star here in Columbus in 2001 and it was a pretty it was a pretty big deal it was We were getting over 100,000 hits a month here locally in Central Ohio. Mm -hmm. We had major partnerships with the Convention and Visitors Bureau, Columbus Alive, many of the bars, restaurants, nightclubs, the zoo, COSI, you know, all over Columbus to promote entertainment and events because this is when the internet was new. This is when AOL was sending out instant messenger CDs. So that's how I got my start. And then, you know, throughout the years, I've just started multiple businesses now on my fourth business currently, which is how you found me from talking about my business popcom
0: so i heard your the story of how popcom uh, came into existence but just for people listening how did you get the idea what inspired you how did it all come about
1: PopCom is an automated retail technology company, which basically, in in layman's terms, is a vending machine. And kiosk company, we make software and then we make hardware for self-service retail. So when you think about self-service retail, think about checking out at the grocery store, tagging your bags at the airport, you know, anywhere we're using kiosk to order. I've been seeing ordering kiosks at Panera and McDonald's, so everywhere people are self-serving. We develop technology and software that allows these retail units to collect customer data and be more interactive and have very similar features. That you find in the e commerce environment. I was inspired to start this business from my another business that I started and is still in business today called flat out of heels the rollable ballet flats for women when their feet hurt so they're compact flats mm-hmm. you roll them up or fold them and put them in your purse and my idea was to sell them in vending machines when women's feet hurt the most if you're at the club or at the airport or at a convention and you need to come out of those heels get them in a vending machine mm-hmm. I felt that vending was the most effective means of distribution for a product that you need in an emergency situation right like we get a soda or some water or a snack well why can't you get a regular product that you need on demand Right. So this was in 2011 that I started this business and had a really difficult time finding partners to work with me, manufacturers to build hardware for me. You know, at the time and even still today, most vending machines look exactly the same. They're rectangle with the glass in the front with the coils. Right. And that's not what I envisioned for my brand. So I started Popcom, which is. Our legal name is Solutions Vending International. Popcom is our trademark. And I started the business to essentially solve my problem of, you know, wanting to have some innovative hardware to sell my shoes, but I couldn't find anyone to do it. And so that's how Popcom was born initially as a hardware company to build vending machines for flat out, which we did. I placed my first flat out vending machine in the Atlanta Airport in two thousand and thirteen. Club Live in Miami MGM Grand Casino Hotel in Las Vegas. In other places, we placed them. And then I realized that, you know, I didn't have any data. I couldn't collect any data. I didn't know anything about my customers.
0: Let's back up real quick. Okay, so you come up with an idea to place just... Shoes and mm-hmm. in, in vending machines, but the technology at the time didn't really facilitate that. It didn't even exist, really. So how do you go? F- so basically you just you decide that, OK, I need to design my own machine. Or did you initially start out by trying to get existing manufacturers to customize a machine for you?
1: That's how I started. I was just trying to get, you know, someone to customize a machine for me. I figured there's so many hardware manufacturers and machines all over. Somebody has to be able to build one for me. Right. It just wasn't that simple. You know, the minimums were beyond my my budget as a small business. You know, they're wanting me to make commitments for like a million dollars. And, you know, we're a small business, right. a, a startup. You know, I didn't have a million dollars to put into a vending, and I didn't even know if it was going to work. So there was no company out there that would do a pilot for me or build a small run of units. Like I only wanted five. And so I decided just to build them myself. You know, it's,
0: so when you say build them yourself, are you literally like in the garage with, with <laughs> a, a blowtorch and a hammer? Not me, or? but my
1: team, yes, not me. But, you know, the first five were hand built by a mechanical and electrical engineer that I hired to, you know, build them. And yes, they built them in essentially like a garage, you know, and did all of that work. And we launched them and we tested them. And then that's when I realized that, you know, they didn't they weren't tech enabled. They were just, they sold a product that was it. I didn't know anything else. They couldn't even send receipts. Now,
0: why did you, you mentioned data before. Why did you feel, because most vending machines- They don't. Yeah, they don't collect data. They're not smart. Why did you feel like your product needed to collect data and essentially be wired?
1: Yeah, I mean, at the time, less than 5% of vending machines even accepted credit cards back in 2012. Even today, it's about 20%. So it's still the industry overall, you know, not connected, not smart. Smart machines are growing 30% year over year. But for me, you know, I'm selling a product with a price point of $20 and higher. I have a very successful e-commerce store and I'm used to receiving so much information and data from Google Analytics and Shopify about, you know, conversion rates, time spent, heat mapping. I can remarket, retarget. You know, a lot of times we'll go to a website and then you go off of it and you'll see ads popping up. That's retargeting. So it's like different ways to engage with their customer beyond the point of sale. And I guess for industries like snacks, or beverages, if you're selling something for a dollar, it's not that important to be able to send a receipt or tell them thank you or tell them we have more products in different colors or engage with that customer and bring them into the sales funnel because people are just buying snacks, the same snacks anywhere. Right. But for me, a very you know, specialized product very specific consumer base. I wanted to have more engagement with my consu- most of my customers, and there was a point where we had sold over ten thousand pairs of shoes in our vending machines and didn't collect a single customer email address. Those are people that could be repeat customers. That's why it was so important for me to, at the bare minimum, to get their email address.
0: Got you. Now the the data that that your kiosk would be collecting. Where does that data live? Who stores that data?
1: We store the data. We are, we're a software company, so we. Um,
0: well, I, I get, maybe a better question is, what do you do with the data that you store?
1: It's very similar to e-commerce. We don't do anything. It's the data belongs to the customer. You know, it's like when you have a website and your customer data, your transactional data. Of course, we don't have any access to credit card information that's processed through our the credit card payment processor. And we never get that information. You know, the conversion data that belongs to the customer. It, it's very similar to Google Analytics. If you're familiar with what Google Analytics offers for websites, we're tracking where the customers come from, where they originate based on their IP address, which is the unique address of your computer, like your home address. Their IP is what identifies your computer on on the web. And so all of that data belongs to our customers, but we provide the operating system. But we are like the Google Analytics of self-service
0: retail. So if someone comes up to one of your kiosks to purchase a product, how do you get them to give you this information if they're if you're not if I just coming up to buy a pair of shoes, mm-hmm. maybe I give you my email address, but I'm probably not gonna be interested in giving you my age and you know, my demographic mm-hmm. information. So how do you encourage the consumer to share this information with you?
1: We don't encourage them. It's um, it's all anonymized uh, user data that's collected at the point of sale using face recognition. So okay. there are cameras there. I mean, of course, we can't take the email address. They have to be asked for that. Right. And then they can opt in or opt out. Most of the time people do opt in because they want a receipt and receipts are the number one most open emails in all of e-commerce, period, receipts. So you definitely want to put any messaging or information in. In that receipt so that's the best way to engage with the customer after they purchase but we use face recognition and it's it's anonymized which means that we'll capture the image of the customer, analyze if the person is identified as a male or female up to 92% accuracy, identify their approximate age up to 92% accuracy of you know young adult older adult you know so it's categories of age that we you know just to get a general understanding of traffic pattern and demographic profile of the customers but that image is turned into what's called a biometric hash which is a series of numbers and letters that represent. Represent that image so we'll never say okay this is Scott it's this this is the image of a male around this age we won't know who you are at all gotcha. unless you specifically opt-in for us to capture your identity and the reason why somebody would even opt-in to have their identity captured in this setting is for the purpose of you know joining a loyalty program if you want to receive credit for that purchase mm-hmm. if you want to say identify me because about us all the time and I want a discount or the company can incentivize you to share your data by giving you a discount because companies are always looking for more data but I do believe in privacy and protecting that data and allowing the customer to control the data so none of the data is taken without your permission and then another you know major reason why people would want to verify their identity on a kiosk is for the purchase of regulated products like alcohol, cannabis, pharmaceuticals so in a real world setting if you go to the grocery store today in your self checkout and you want to buy a bottle of wine or some beer you can't do that without pushing a help button and having the cashier come over and verify your ID, type in their code identify that they are them and then verify you. That's a lot of friction in transactions. So it's not a pure automated transaction. There's a human involved. So with our software, we can integrate into these grocery store kiosks and verify that you are 21 because all you really need to know to purchase alcohol is that you're 21. We don't need to know your name. We don't need to know anything else about you, but that you're verified 21. So this is what our software does is just take the friction out of the transaction. And again, you know, put the privacy and the user data back into the hands of the consumers.
0: Okay. Now, we don't see very many black women in in the tech industry, and I'm not sure if that's an accurate
1: yeah, that's, okay. that's accurate. Yeah, okay. So that. in the
0: tech industry, why do you think that is?
1: I could speculate. You know, I was interested in tech very early. I went to DeVry. It was a technical college. You know, I wasn't, I went to Ohio State interested in journalism. I realized that I needed technical skills to be in the job force. So that's why I went and then that sparked my interest. But initially, it wasn't that I was like, I want to be in tech. It was just like, I want to strengthen my skills. Especially coming from Columbus and not in the Silicon Valley or a very tech heavy community. It wasn't something that I heard about. And certainly, I mean, when I was in high school, we used typewriters, you know, so it's not like tech was a thing. So I think it's just like lack of information about the industry overall, you know, access, of course, now this younger generation tech is everywhere. It's a part of your life. Everything is tech enabled. But I think it just starts from just generations of not being really exposed to tech as a career. Yeah. Of course now more than ever it's we're exposed and there's so many programs that are out to educate women, minorities, just anyone that's not typically in tech about STEM, you know, about science and technology and so all of that goes together. So it is it is improving, but I mean overall it just wasn't a it wasn't a thing. Being an engineer or being a, in technology just wasn't something that was ever discussed when I was growing up.
0: One, it's unusual to I think a lot of times girls and women tend to kind of avoid the tech industry or or maybe that's more of a stereotype. And I'm just curious, what do you think we can do to encourage not only young girls but young boys as well of color to take an interest more in technology and and science and even finance because that's that's also part of your Absolutely. business as well.
1: Continue to show them images of people that look like them. You know, people that they can relate to like myself, like many other African American, Hispanic you know, LGBTQ, all of these industry, all of these categories of people that are not represented in the industry as a whole, where the youth will, when you see a Mark Zuckerberg, you see a Jeff Bezos, all the faces that you see on TV of, of successful tech are white males. That's just because that's the predominant group, you know, that's, right. and it's not even a, a deeply, believe that it's not an intentional slight. It's just that's what, who was in Silicon Valley, that's where the industry was created. There wasn't a lot of black people in Silicon Valley during the emergence of venture capital and these tech companies. But that said, all the faces that we see, they don't look like us. So it's so important for you to understand something's a possibility for you to see someone that looks like you and you can relate to. I mean, for me, I never saw that. But, you know, I was very driven just for, again, to expand my knowledge personally. But, you know, continuing to showcase that there are people, all kinds of people are in tech. That's so important.
0: Which is presenting more challenges being black or being a woman?
1: You know, I don't I don't think there's a way to to gauge that because nobody's going to look in my face and say we didn't give you opportunity because you're a woman or we didn't give you opportunity because you're black. And I certainly don't walk around using that as an excuse for any opportunity that I may have not been able to take advantage of. I feel that there's a system that's in place. I don't think that when it was set up that they sat down and said, you know what, we don't want any women here at all, or black people. I don't think that's what it was. I think that the people in the room were just peers that went to school together, knew each other or in this community. community and they all just happen to be white males yeah and so for me i don't focus on that i don't you know of course i'm a black female that's my identity but i really feel like i've had opportunities i don't want to say equal because i don't know but i have been able to accomplish everything that i set out to accomplish period everything and i've not been held back no may have taken me longer because i didn't maybe have that initial network you know i grew up in columbus i didn't have the silicon valley network i had to build it that's the difference I had to build a network. I didn't go to Stanford. You know, I didn't go to MIT. So I had to get to know those people. But, you know, I never use my gender or my race as an excuse or a reason why something didn't happen. I really use it as a catalyst. You know, when I go into a room and I'm the only black woman, well, I know for a fact you're going to see me. If nothing else, you're going to see me because I'm the only one here. And that's an opportunity for me to... Create the narrative for how black women behave, how they how we engage, you know, our intelligence, because a lot of people maybe never even dealt with a black woman in that setting. So there may be a stereotype that's ingrained in them that about us. So I have opportunity to there's something called pattern matching. And I have the opportunity to show, you know, that black women can align in a pattern of, of success in technology the same way that white men have consistently demonstrated that as well.
0: So you were able to Based on some prior interviews that you've done, my understanding is that you were able to sort of get seed funding to to get your business started because you found investors early on. And that was possible because of your network of friends and associates. But for people who don't happen to know people who got five grand to invest and have very little or no money. get started what would you suggest
1: I suggest they go meet people that have five thousand dollars I mean you have to expand your network it's nothing's easy there's no handouts there's no shortcuts period so you know I have to go out and build my network a lot of my investors my early investors came from college going to college the most valuable thing about going to an educational institution is the network you can learn anything on the internet or in a book the value was being with those people and those peers and where they're going to go in their career you know being able to have access to their network and to them And I took full advantage of my network from Ohio State and I got investments from several of my peers there. But that was me staying in touch with them, reaching back out, paying it forward, being a part of the community. It all goes hand in hand. You know, nobody ever handed me anything. I've all worked for everything. So people who are looking for an easy way it doesn't exist but you have to be in the building be present ask questions pay it forward build your network that's what it takes you know there's and there's multiple ways that you can now raise money including crowdfunding which I'm currently doing that you don't have to go to the traditional sources which include banks you know loans or institutional capital from from venture capitalists you can raise money through equity crowdfunding or crowdfunding for a product to get developed now which is what I encourage people to do
0: now in terms of your kiosks are there I think I, I saw on your website that you guys were looking to be at full production. I think in 2018.
1: Are you so? There th- that's yet? last year. So last year we did go into production, and you know I'm very transparent about challenges that we faced, and we had some issues with our manufacturer. And we had to start all over again, and now our delivery date is June or July of this year. So you know that setback set us back 12 months, and that's what happens a lot of times in business. You know we've been working on this this particular fine um, vintage a new type of kiosk is called the pop shop and i've been working on this for three years and went through several iterations several designs spent hundreds of thousands of dollars in development on the software and hardware side. So it's not easy to just come out with a product in your brain and make it a physical thing that's functioning and mass manufacturable. So that said, you know, us being a startup, us not having unlimited R&D budgets and resources, it takes us longer to get the product out. But we're there now. And thanks to all of the amazing now over 1,200 people that have invested in my crowdfunding campaign, we have more than enough capital to bring the product out and, and scale the business.
0: What in your childhood or your upbringing helped prepare you for this moment in your life?
1: I definitely always seen entrepreneurship around me in my community. Um, My parents were entrepreneurs, you know, living in the inner city. You see a lot of resourceful people that. They call them hustlers, but they're entrepreneurial, you know, they're getting money. And so I learned at an early age how to make money in different ways, whether it's having a lemonade stand like all kids did or having sales of your toys in the neighborhood or, you know, being a Girl Scout. But I've always been very um, outgoing and enterprising. So all of that prepared me, you know, also being a part of organizations in school, through high school, through college, community service organizations and all of these things really just built my network. Again, I'm 40. I've been working professionally as an entrepreneur for 18 years All of those years of work being a person of integrity a person of my word you know paying it forward all of those things over time has now resulted in where I am today which I'm living my dreams and this is a life that I always wanted but again I just said I've been doing this for 18 years there's no microwave to do that
0: explain to us what blockchain is and why people should care about it I know that Mm -hmm. from just looking at some information in terms of of your company that it's it's a big part of that Mm -hmm. but for most people they have no idea what that means and why they should even care about it so could you explain to us
1: yeah in simple terms blockchain is a ledger very similar to the way that you have back in the day before we had online banking a check ledger and you write down every transaction that occurs and that is the record of the transactions that occur Now, you know, instead of having a centralized database where even for where we are now, maybe all the data goes to one server and that's where it's stored and anyone could go into there and access it, manipulate it or change it. Even a handwritten ledger, you can go in and erase something and write it. What blockchain is, is an immutable ledger, so you can't make any changes to it. It's very collaborative uh, with many nodes in different computers that actually have to verify the transactions over the platform. So which means I can't go in and make a change without verification from several other computers on the network. Okay. Which means that the data is secure. You know, in a world of hackers, we we can never say nothing can be hacked. Right. But it is the most secure way to store data currently at this time. How I see blockchain is the way that I saw, you know, the internet when it changed things
0: Really, you think blockchain is that? Oh, absolutely.
1: A hundred percent. Yes. You know, and we haven't even scratched the surface of capabilities what we can do with apps, you know, with DApps, what they're called on, on the blockchain and how we can use a blockchain for, you know, developing digital currency, which we saw with Bitcoin and many others. I don't have a digital currency. I have a token, but it's a security token. So you can use a blockchain to keep record of a security, meaning a share. So when someone invests in my company, that share is on the blockchain now. It's not a piece of paper as in before if you have a share in a company, they s- literally send you a stock certificate. Right. Now this is on the blockchain. So we use it in our technology with our kiosks because we store that customer data, that biometric hash, any of the information that you share with us that you want to use to verify your identity and keep it secure so on the blockchain, which means that no one can access it without you giving your permission for them to access your record on the blockchain. And that's why it's important. But I definitely do see the blockchain as a serious as of innovation as the World Wide Web was. When it became something that was used for the public, which originally it wasn't built for the public, it just happened to get leaked and the public got a hold of it. And here we are today. But the Internet was really made for for government and private use. And initially, the blockchain was, you know, a way for that developers, engineers came together and said, we want to have our own currency. We want to have our own way of storing data. And now you see where it's at today and it's just scratched the surface. So I encourage everyone to get a baseline understanding of what blockchain is. And, you know, most of us have had some type of contact with blockchain and many of the companies that we these major corporations including JP Morgan Chase are like utilizing a blockchain now so we're having contact with it but we just don't know so it's really important for us to understand how it
0: works before i let you get out of here the number of new businesses being started by black women is Skyrocketing.
1: Number one in the country. Yeah.
0: And I was just wondering, what are some things you think that they should consider before entering into entrepreneurship?
1: I don't think that anyone should consider any type of business without doing your complete research on the market, on the opportunity, on what it's going to take to scale that business and how far you really can go and the market size. You know, I think that because we're in a time where entrepreneurship is really glamorized in a lot of ways, and we see all these successful people that, look successful on Instagram and we see Shark Tank which is by the way very fake people think it's easy or think that it's an overnight thing and you know most of the people that you see today they're like me they've put in many many years of work before they get any type of visibility whatsoever they're just heads down working so I still have to say anyone black women anybody of any race before you start a business really dig deep and and learn that business you know um, write a business plan not for anybody else but yourself but you understand the market you understand what type of budget that you need you understand the different you know, how you're going to fund that business, how you're going to grow that business, the marketing, how you're going to reach your audience before you even jump in. And then before you ask anybody for an investment, test it out and make sure somebody will even buy it first. Get a customer. If it's something you have to build before you can sell it, get letters of intent. Have some people say, you know what, I like this. If you build it, I'll buy it. At least that you know you have customers. That's the most important thing is revenue. We talk a lot about in all of this technology press talk about all the millions of dollars that startups have raised. Really, it's not about that it's about how much money you're generating at the end of the day businesses are in business to make money Right. and you know technol- the technology model is more around burn and get high valuations but me I'm an old fashioned person I believe in revenue and I think that you know once we have this tech bubble burst cash is king so right. focus on that
0: so if people want to can people find your kiosk or we, They're it, not
1: out yet. Okay. They're not out yet. You can definitely check them out and see what they look like on popcom.shop. That's our website and we're popcom S-A-A-S on all social media which stands for software as a service. So we're popcom SAS and, and I'm Don Dixon everywhere and I talk about it a lot and you know have a lot of videos on YouTube with demonstrations of the tech and me talking about the technology and also talking about the investment opportunity that exists today.
0: Well Don, I want to thank you so much for coming in and talking to us. I find your story amazing and inspiring and um, hopefully It doesn't have to be a little girl or a woman, but I think if anybody out there hears your story and it inspires them to go out and pursue their dreams and start their own business. And and if nothing else, just for people to get more into tech, (laughs) learn about technology, you know, learn about finance and business. I think those are all great things that can help empower people.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of great resources in Columbus. I do want to shout out a couple organizations. We have Black Tech 614. We have Black Hack. We have all the great programs that are happening at Rev. One, you know, that's kind of like the center of entrepreneurship here in the community. So I definitely recommend people check that out. And there's just tons of programs on and, and meetups going on in the city for tech. And I do, the last thing I want to say is I would not be doing my job if I didn't is that we are currently raising money from the public and just go check it out on StartEngine. We're raising 943000 As of today, we're at 700000 So I feel really good that we'll hit our goal and it's really historical what I'm doing by accepting investments from the public. But I do believe in equal opportunities in and investments for everyone to grow their money and that's not equal opportunity based on color it's really based on tax bracket is how you determine right. if you can invest so Check that out, startengine.com forward slash popcom. And just shout out to the whole city of Columbus for always being so supportive.
0: Well, I mean, you're our hometown girl. We want to support you however we can. Please keep us informed on what's going on. And, you know, if you got any new developments, you're always welcome to come back.
1: Thanks. I would like to come back when we launched. Definitely. Yeah,
0: we'll definitely have to set something up. Yeah. In the meantime, for uh, everybody else, thanks again for tuning in. Don't forget, we love to hear from our listeners. So check us out on our Facebook page at Facebook slash groups slash other side podcast or you can always hit us up on twitter at other side underscore pod and there you'll find a bunch of photos and uh, you can submit questions or show suggestions so until then try to see things from the other side